WWE podcast on this Friday, June 4th, as we are just a few days away from the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, the pay-per-view that's not really getting a lot of hype here, and um, I gotta say, it's made me not really care all that much about Hell in a Cell matches, as you know, I know Matt and I have talked about several times that when you have a gimmick match built into the schedule, it feels a lot less, it feels a lot less important. You know, we've seen that with TLC, Hell in the Cell, obviously, Elimination Chamber to an extent as well, although that has historically been my favorite match in the history of WWE, but even I could admit that over the last decade or so, it really has become watered down because of it being built into the schedule. But as always, we're not here to talk about gimmick matches or the current state of WWE. That's right, that's reserved, rather, easy enough for me to say for our Monday night shows. We are here to go back in time, and tonight we are going to be talking about, or today, depending when you're listening to this, the rise and peak and fall of Evolution, arguably the greatest faction in the history of professional wrestling. So you really have to go back all the way to the Attitude Era, or the tail end of the Attitude Era, to realize when this first started. Because it kind of started with the rise of Triple H to stardom in WWE. And, you know, I would say in the later part of 1999, when he branched off from the corporation and by extension the corporate ministry, won his first WWF championship in the late summer of 1999. And then went on to have a pretty storied rivalry with The Rock throughout the year 2000 obviously goes up against Stone Cold Steve Austin in late 2000, early 2001 in the whodunit angle when Steve Austin got written off television in the fall of 1999. And then in the year 2001, forming the two-man power trip before that, having his first of three encounters with Triple H at WrestleMania. And he would get hurt in the spring of 2001. That would keep him out all the way until January of 2002. 2002 he comes back as a babyface the first time we had seen Triple H as a babyface since pre-Degeneration X and to be honest with you you could make the case that it was the first time we had ever seen Triple H as a babyface at all because even before Degeneration X he had been or even before the the corporation he had been a babyface. I guess you could argue, or he had been a heel. I guess you could argue that the post Shawn Michaels version of Degeneration X in 1998 was kind of a babyface Triple H when he was going against The Rock and the Nation of Domination. So it was the first time in just about four years we had seen a babyface version of Triple H. But the first time, surely, that we had seen him as a main eventer as a babyface. 
So obviously 2002, we see the brand split get put into place. We see Austin and Stone Cold, uh, Austin and The Rock uh, step away from the WWE as full-time in-ring competitors. Austin with a walkout in the summer of 02. The Rock leaving after dropping the title to Brock Lesnar after SummerSlam of 2002. And we kind of see Triple H handed the reins here as the guy. Certainly over on Monday Night Raw. Over Obviously on SmackDown, you had the next big thing, the up-and-comer Brock Lesnar, Kurt Angle, The Undertaker. But on Monday Night Raw, it was the Triple H show. And many people will refer to this time as the reign of terror of Triple H. But I just think that he was just that damn good, as his slogan was at that time, that he deserved it. But what does every good heel need? He needs a stable. And that's what we went to quick work with in early of in early 2003. We saw him get aligned with Ric Flair in the fall of 2002. And then... Quickly, we saw him jump into the program with Scott Steiner following him regaining the World Heavyweight Championship after Armageddon 2002, after Shawn Michaels' short one-month run with the championship, after winning it at the first-ever Elimination Chamber at Survivor Series. And it was during the Scott Steiner rivalry with Triple H that we would get to see the first-ever version, or the first-ever segment, rather, of Triple H's newest faction <laughs> and baby you're looking at a but evolution always continues and you have to look to the future and i look to you dave batista six foot five three hundred and twenty five pounds Evolution 
So <clears throat> we see the first ever debut or the first ever segment with Evolution introducing Batista to the group, introducing Randy Orton as the future of the company, obviously Ric Flair there as well, and we get a glimpse into the future through the eyes of Triple H. And just on a side note, how great is Triple H on promos? He is just so excellent, and he gets you to buy into whatever he was talking about. And he truly was the best at this time, in my opinion, at least. Obviously, Kurt Angle could have something to say about that. The Undertaker, Brock Lesnar, but Triple H had it all. And reinventing himself as kind of like the... The, uh, kind of like a newer version of Ric Flair, but with the cerebral assassin element to him. Unfortunately, the whole evolution thing kind of had to get put on hold very quickly out of the gate <clears throat> because you had Randy Orton and Batista both get hurt shortly after their debut. So you would have Triple H and Ric Flair kind of go back on their own for a bit as we had seen them in the fall of 2002 and you see Triple H have this successful title defense against Booker T at WrestleMania 19. He has a short program with um, Kevin Nash. He also has the infamous program with Kane and that is when we kind of get the return of Randy Orton in the summer of 2003. So for a while there you had evolution with Orton Flair and Triple H and it took Batista a bit while to get back but one of the big moments that I remember from Evolution was at SummerSlam 2003 inside the Elimination Chamber because you had not one but two members of Evolution involved in the second ever Elimination Chamber match for the World Heavyweight Championship in Triple H and Randy Orton and the way this match would end coming down to Triple H and Bill Goldberg was kind of a microcosm of the entire story that we would come to know when it came to evolution.
So, just when you think Goldberg has the match won, Ric Flair slides Triple H the sledgehammer, gets the one, two, three, and then proceeds with the help of Orton coming back to the ring with handcuffs and Ric Flair getting in the chamber to beat the holy hell out of Goldberg. And this is kind of like what we came to know when it came to Evolution, is that they always had the upper hand, that you could always play the numbers game. You had Ric Flair always watching Triple H's back, and Randy Orton as kind of a loyal henchman, and when he would get back as well, Batista, who was the big muscle, to Triple H. And they, their main goal was to keep that world championship on Triple H. He would eventually drop it to Goldberg at the very next pay-per-view, and this would spill all the way into Armageddon 2003. And at this particular pay-per-view, we would have Randy Orton win his first ever championship as becoming the Intercontinental Champion. And then you had Batista and Ric Flair win a tag team turmoil to become the World Tag Team Champions, aka the Raw Tag Team Champions. And the main event of this card was a triple threat match between Triple H, Kane, and the defending world heavyweight champion, Goldberg. And it was at the end of this match where we got to see the pinnacle and the absolute peak of evolution. Yeah. <laughs> 
And again, in classic evolution fashion, they used the numbers to their advantage, allow Triple H to hit the low blow on Goldberg. Batista slides, pulls Kane out of the ring after the choke slam to Goldberg, and Triple H is able to capitalize. And you had Tri- Triple H and the rest of Evolution holding all the gold over on Monday Night Raw. The Intercontinental Championship, the World Championship, the Tag Team Titles. Kind of similar to what we're seeing from the Bloodline right now. Except you also had the Midcard Championship with Evolution held by Randy Orton. And then, you know, you go into WrestleMania 20 and you have Evolution, Saw, <laughs> Triple H... Defeat Rock and Saw Connection, another ele- elevation win for Randy Orton specifically. And this is when you start to see Evolution's Randy Orton start to get a push as Triple H drops the World Heavyweight Championship to Chris Benoit at WrestleMania 20. And Randy Orton would lose the Intercontinental Championship later that year at the Vengeance pay per view to Edge. And we would see Randy Orton become the number one contender for the world heavyweight championship and this is like when you start to see a bit of unconventional stuff from evolution because you had triple h not in the world heavyweight championship picture anymore and you had randy orton who had been dubbed as the future just 18 months prior from triple h now be getting his time to shine in the light And he would successfully win the World Heavyweight Championship at SummerSlam 2004 against Chris Benoit. And it was the next night on Monday Night Raw, during Randy Orton's first successful title defense against Chris Benoit in his rematch, where we would see one of the biggest moments in the history of Evolution.
So after Randy Orton retains the World Heavyweight Championship, he gets a rude awakening and effectively kicked out of the group unless he wanted to relinquish the World Heavyweight Championship back to Triple H. And they just gave him a hell of a beatdown here, busted him wide open, Flair, Batista, Triple H all taking their shots on him. And the very next week on Monday Night Raw, he would make the decision to spit in Triple H's face, effectively leaving the group and going on a singles babyface run, a very failed run um, of Randy Orton's career as they've talked about it, you know, off script kind of about how he wasn't ready for it, wasn't mature and all that. And as we know, in his prime, Randy Orton, a much better heel than a babyface. But this was the first major change we had seen to evolution during its 18th months in existence. You know, Randy Orton, the guy who was dubbed as the future, the guy that everyone saw was the blue chip prospect of the group, defects away. And now you are down to Triple H, Ric Flair, and Batista. And the group would hold steady for just about four months or so, right up around until January. This happened in August. So around January of 2004, or 2005 rather, you start to feel an organic um, push coming for Batista as the crowd organically really starts to get behind him. And, you know, we had kind of seen the Randy Orton Triple H thing beaten to death. We had seen Triple H regain the World Heavyweight title at Unforgiven in September. Then you have the four-on-four classic Survivor Series match of basically Team Triple H versus Team Orton. You had Triple H successfully regain the World Heavyweight Championship at New Year's Resolution or Revolution, whatever it used to be called, in early 2005 in January, defeating Randy Orton to finish um, the Elimination Chamber as the final two members, and then ultimately culminating at the Royal Rumble in 2005, where Triple H would successfully defend against Randy Orton to retain his World Heavyweight Championship. So post-Rumble in 2005, we had really had a bow put on the Randy Orton Triple H program, at least for a few years. Obviously, we would get way more installments of Orton versus Triple H at WrestleMania 24, WrestleMania 25, the whole Stephanie McMahon kiss. We all know that happened. But their initial rivalry would kind of come to a close at the Rumble in 2005. But something else that happened at the Rumble in 2005 was Batista winning the Royal Rumble and getting his right to choose which world champion he would want to face at that year's WrestleMania. And we had had the tease of him going to SmackDown, of JBL's limo trying to run him over in the parking lot. You had Triple H trying to advocate for him to go to SmackDown, be the WWE champion, and Triple H would stay on Raw to be the world champion, and then they would hold all the gold. And then there's that famous clip of Triple H talking to Ric Flair in the locker room, saying that he was the one who staged to make it look, make it seem like Batista, or make it seem that JBL tried to run him over, that he actually went out and rented a limo and put horns on it, and calling Batista stupid, and that famous shot of Batista listening on the other side of the corridor. And this would lead to the contract signing on Monday Night Raw of where, or who rather, Batista would choose to face off against at WrestleMania 21. And this is when we would see the final implosion of evolution. We could have written 
history. Do you see that, Dave? But it never happened. You and I, you and I have an opportunity to make history, and we owe it to ourselves to do it. Now, Dave, I don't want you to be concerned about Bradshaw. I don't want you to be concerned about Cena, because I know deep inside of my heart you could beat both those guys at the same time like that. You see, Dave, we have an opportunity to do the greatest thing that has ever been done in this industry. We owe it to ourselves. We owe it to the world. You and I to walk that aisle with the nature boy, Ric Flair, side by side, owning this business. Doesn't seem like a difficult decision to me at all, Dave. It really doesn't. And I've got a feeling you know what you want to do, big man, don't you? You know what you want to do. Hunter, I've known what I was going to do for a long time.
So one of the biggest babyface turns of the Ruthless Aggression era, I would have to say, was Batista turning on Evolution. And one of the most vicious power bombs ever, Mike. Like, I would encourage you guys to go see it. The audio does not do it justice. He absolutely obliterates Triple H through that table and signs the contract. And uh, that would be it for Evolution for quite some time as far as its first installment went as Batista would go on to win the World Heavyweight Championship at WrestleMania and hold it all the way until January of the following year when he would have to relinquish it. And, you know, Evolution did exactly what factions are meant to do, and they created two absolute superstars in Orton and in Batista. It took Orton a bit longer to get there. I didn't. I don't think they expected Batista to be winning a Royal Rumble and main eventing a WrestleMania before Randy Orton. Obviously, they had to kind of double back with Orton, make him turn heel again, face off against The Undertaker, and kind of come full circle for him at a later time. And all in all, I think we could all agree on Randy Orton being the bigger star of the two in the grand scheme of things. But in the immediate uh, aftermath of Evolution, Batista was the star that really took off. And I don't think they expected it from Batista. I think they, the entire plan for a long time was to push Randy Orton as the next Triple H, as the next guy in this business, and he certainly lived up to, lived up to that in due time. But, you know, you have to remember here is that Batista was the same age as Triple H. You know, he was not a spring chicken when uh, he finally got the push in 05 as the World Heavyweight Champion. And he kind of ran parallel with John Cena in 2005, 2006, even 2007 as the top baby faces in the company. And I would say it was only in about the year 2007 where you really started to see a clear-cut separation between Cena and Batista. Because in the early going, it was really neck and neck with between those two. It was kind of like Rock and Austin with Randy Orton playing the role of Triple H if you want to draw a parallel to the um, Attitude Era. But as we know, Batista would walk away in, I believe it was 2009, from a full-time, uh, as a full-time competitor, and would return in 2014, where we would see one final installment of Evolution that would last about a month or so when they would go up against, um, they went up against the Shield. That was cool to see the band back together, as JBL coined it. But... Uh, all in all, one of the most historic factions that uh, ran roughshod on Raw for just about two years during the, the peak and the height of the Ruthless Aggression era. And you kind of had two superstars made. Obviously, Batista already a Hall of Famer, or at least he was about to be inducted. I don't know if he ever ended up getting inducted because he was supposed to go in in 2020. And obviously, we know what happened with COVID. And Randy Orton, we, he's not there yet. He's still going strong as a full-time competitor. But he is a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer whenever he hangs up the boots once and for all. And Evolution, all in all, they were one of the highlights of the Ruthless Aggression era. Made two superstars, which dominated the, the succeeding era. And uh, just one of the true um, best factions in the history of the wrestling business. Well, anyway, guys, that's all I got for you today. I hope you enjoyed Evolution. Uh, as always, you can get me on Twitter at Adamarker25. You can get Matt on Twitter at Wrestling underscore Audio. Or you can email him each and every week for the WWE Mailbag episode. Anyway, guys, stay safe out there. I'll talk to you next week.
Thanks for listening to the WWE Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a show or head to wwepodcast.com. And for all of these shows ad-free, head over to patreon.com slash WWE Podcast. Until then, we'll see you next time.